couple of things you need to know about me. One is that I became a Christian when I was 23 years old, so I wasn't raised as a Christian. Uh, the second thing, uh, if you know me, I love really good movies. And uh, a classic movie uh, that I've uh, got to talk about is Shane. Now, how many people have seen Shane? This is a 1950s movie. It's a classic. So one bored, wet winter's day, you think, you know, you know, what can I watch? Watch Shane. Now, back in the olden days, you know, in the 50s, um, it was very simple. Shane, he's a good guy, and uh, J- the character played by Jack Palance there, he's the bad guy. And you can tell straight away, because Shane wears a white hat, and Jack Palance is wearing a black hat, right? Good guy, bad guy, very straightforward, very simple. Uh, now, in the uh, 80s, I think, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger played The Terminator, made him famous. He, you know, this line, I'll be back, uh, came from that movie. Uh, he's a bad guy, but it also there was a good guy in the movie to save, you know, the, uh, this woman, uh, Sarah Connor. Anyway, in the 90s, some people have seen this movie, Terminator 2, a classic, one of the rare sequels that's actually better than the original. But anyway, um, Arnie turns up and he is bad, right, because we've already seen Terminator 1 and, you know, there he is. He's wearing a black T-shirt, he's got a black gun, he's wearing a black jacket, he's wearing a black, black, you know, he's bad. In fact, bad to the bone. he's got a theme song, Bad to the Bone, right, he's bad, right? And in the movie, there's a good guy who's a policeman and, uh, you know, who's going to get to um, this, uh, you know, uh, what's his name? Connor. Um, oh, what's his oh, I've forgotten his name. John Connor, yeah. Um, who's going to get to him first, you see? And there's a twist. I won't spoil the ending because it's a new release. No, all right, okay. We're going to um, look at a passage about a good guy and a bad guy in uh, the handout that you've got there. So um, if you look at uh, the passage, so I've also got it on here as well. Um, verse 9, sentence 9, at the end of verse 9, Jesus tells a parable, all right, a parable. We need to work out what a parable, a parable is just a completely made up story, right? There is just Jesus made this story up. Uh, and Jesus tells a whole lot of parables through the Gospels, and the parable is designed to make you think deeply about a spiritual concept. And so we need to pay attention this morning to this parable and work out what Jesus is saying carefully to us. Uh, Now, for any good story, you need uh, an audience. Um, Verse 9 tells us about the audience. To some who were confident of their own righteousness, we're told. Uh, These people thought they were good in a religious sense. Uh, They were confident that because of what they did, God saw them as good people, righteous uh, verse 9, though, not only were they confident that they were righteous, they looked down on everyone else. Uh, they looked down their noses, they tutted at others, they considered to be bad people, uh, morally and religiously second-rate bad people. So it's the audience, okay? Uh, because it's a made-up story, Jesus could pick any characters he liked in his story. He picks two, two people there, two characters. Verse 10, uh, Jesus picks a Pharisee and he picks a tax collector. Now, back in those days, everyone knew about them. So let's look at the Pharisee. First of all, verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He says, in, in essence, he's saying, I'm not a bad person. Right? Look at what I, look at verse 12. I fast twice a week. Twice a week. 
His religion only asked him to fast once a year. Wow, all right? Uh, I give a tenth of all I get. Even that was way beyond what was asked. See, look at what he does. He's very religious, very charitable. Now, a Pharisee, everyone back those, in those days knew what a Pharisee was. A Pharisee, we can be a bit confused. They were just like you, right? Just ordinary people, had ordinary jobs, ordinary citizens. They weren't professionals. They weren't paid. They were just ordinary people. But they took being good really seriously, really seriously. They were full on about being religious. In fact, to, to be a Pharisee, you had to memorize the first five books of the Bible off by heart, by memory. But they, they weren't paid, right? So we need to bear this in mind. They took really uh, seriously being good. If you had a Pharisee as a member of your family, if somebody married one, you'll be proud because they were pillars of society, right? Uh, why, is, why is a Pharisee in the story? Well, clearly there's... You know, the ultimate good person in society was a Pharisee. There was no one better than a Pharisee. A Pharisee was the best good person that Jesus could think of. Right. So, the verse 10, the second character is a tax collector. If Jesus picked the, the perfect good person, he picks the perfect bad person. Right? The bottom end of the scale of goodness. Uh, Jesus, remember, Jesus could have chosen anyone, but he picks a tax collector. Everyone knew. Everyone knew in the first century there was no one worse than a tax collector. Now, why were they disliked? Why were they so bad? Firstly, they ripped you off, right? So uh, the way it worked, the Roman you know, Empire had conquered the land and they uh, compelled everyone to pay tax. And they put the tax collecting business out for tender, right? So uh, people bid and got their gig, as it were, and as long as Rome got their taxes the tax collector could skim a bit more off the top. So they ripped you off. Everyone knew they were ripping you off when they, you know, and they had the power of the Roman army behind them. Uh, secondly, and perhaps worse, they were traitors because the Roman army had conquered the land and yet a tax collector was a Jew working for the Romans. You know, outrageous. This is, this is horrible, right? This is, this is, so they were corrupt, they were traitors, they were scum. They were bad, bad people. Everyone knew this. Uh, and so everyone listening that day knew that there was no one better than a Pharisee and no one worse than a tax collector. Now, why is Jesus telling this parable? Why has he picked these two characters? Uh, well, to answer these two important questions, who goes to heaven and how do people get to heaven? Who goes to heaven? How do people get there? Uh, over the years, they're great questions. Over the years, I've uh, asked many people these questions. And uh, it goes something like this. Uh, so you ask them, who gets to heaven? People say, good people go to heaven. Right? Will you go to heaven? And the answer invariably is, if I'm good enough. Now, I used to say, think that too, right? People, that's the default setting. And it's sort of logical because heaven's a good place. God is good. You know, therefore, good people, need to, you need to be good to go to heaven. So, if we had to choose out of these two characters, which of these two are going to go to heaven? Well, the odds on favourite is the Pharisee, you see, because, the original, you know, like everyone listening knew that the Pharisee was the good person, the, you know, the, wearing the white hat, as it were. Of course he's going to go to heaven. He's good. He's the good guy. When we get to verse 14... We're shocked. Now, look at, look at your handout there. Verse 14, 
read, read with me. I tell you that this man, now this is the, the tax collector, the scumbag, rather than the other man, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. It's a shock. Jesus says bluntly, the bad person goes to heaven. The good person does not go to heaven. We're told in verse 14, the tax collector, the bad guy, went home justified before God. Well, what does justified mean? Uh, some of the, you know, well, one of the students I know of uh, studies law, and it's a legal term, justified. It means, uh, well, it's from the law courts, it means to de- be declared, right? It's a declaration of being not guilty, officially declared in the right. In the Bible, justification means in the, being in the right with God forever, right? It's not just you are now and now later you're not. And, no, no, you are declared because, uh, well, we're going to get to that in a minute. You're going to go, you're going to be right with God forever. And Jesus says plainly in verse, uh, um, in the passage here, that the tax collector goes home justified before God. He is, he is right with God. And the other man, the Pharisee, the good guy, does not home, um, go home justified. Now, it shocked uh, the people listening to this parable, you know, when Jesus told it the first time. It shocked me the first time I understood what Jesus is saying, uh, you know, in this passage. And hopefully, right now, it shocked you because it's meant to shock you. Jesus tells these stories to shock us all. Bad people go to heaven, not good people. That's the shock. Jesus is saying bad people go to heaven, not good people. That is confusing, right? Because it goes against the grain of what we normally think. How, do, how then do we get to heaven if it's not by being a good person? The answer is very clear and Christianity at its heart, this is what it's all about. This is the good news. And Jesus has been dropping clues along the way. So, so retrace our steps. Uh, first, we're going to re-look at the Pharisee. Remember verse 14, Jesus said the Pharisee is not going to go home right with God. Verse 11 is a clue. Look with me again. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. I fast. I give. Me. It's all about me. You see, the Pharisee's at prayer, but his, his focus is on himself. He says, well, look at what I do, look at what I don't do. But the Pharisee looks at other people. He looks around. And when he compares, you know, these people that he's comparing himself to are clearly unrighteous, bad people. When he compares himself to them, well, he looks very good. He looks very good. What he, what he doesn't do is he doesn't look to God. He doesn't actually think about what God's standard of good and bad really is. And we all do that. I've done it. You've done it. We all do it. When we see, you know, or hear about murderers, rapists, you know, home invaders, you know, oh, those bad people. You know, when we see meth addicts, drink spikers, you know, home, you know, hit and run drivers, all that stuff, we tut-tut and say, oh, they're terrible people. Oh, you know, glad I'm not like other people. We look good, you see. Right? Every day we see people that are clearly unrighteous, clearly bad people, and when we, you know, when we compare ourselves to them, we shine, we look great, we are deluded that we're good, we're better than others. I do it, you do it, everyone does it. Good people goes, go to heaven, sounds great, doesn't it? 
sounds great, as long as I can define what good is. But we need to work out what God's standard is. And thankfully, we've been told very clearly what God's standard is. In fact, Jesus made it really easy. He said, uh, we can boil it down to two things. Two simple things. Um, Love God with your entire being, right? With your heart, soul, strength and mind. Love God. God is all. Uh, That's one. Two, love other people as much as you love yourself. So just thinking about this morning, the amount of effort you put into being here, right? You're supposed to love all people the same way. All the time. All people. Now, when we judge ourselves by that standard, hmm, we fall short. Just think about loving other people, the second of those commandments. Right? Love all people, even people you don't like. Even people who don't like you, you are to love them. Hmm. Now, we need to remember that everyone loves people that they like. It's easy to love people that you like. So loving them doesn't matter at all because that's easy. You see, if I said to you, Adolf Hitler, right, you would say, oh, he's not a good person, right? He's clearly not a good person, but he loved people, right? He loved people. He gave them parties. He had Christmas with them. He, you know, gave them birthday presents. He loved people. So if we only love the same as Hitler, there's more to it than that. See, love, loving people you find easy to love is not the benchmark of loving your neighbour. God's standard is set way above Hitler's standard. At the end of verse 13, the tax collector refers to himself as a sinner. You see it there, verse 13, a sinner. Now, most people are confused about what sin is. Uh, I'm going to try and explain uh, what God's definition of sin is. Most people think uh, sin is, there's a a whole list of sins on the wall and you look at those and think, you know, yeah, okay, I've done that, I've done that, you know, yeah, okay. But everyone does those things, but, uh, you know, I've done a couple of things. But look at, you know, there's a whole just list, list and list and list of sins. Look at all the ones I haven't done. Gee, I'm good. But that's not what sin is. That's not what sin is. And that's how we're not supposed to think about sin like that. You see, sin in the Bible is not a list of rules. It's not breaking rules. It's breaking a relationship with God. We've pushed God away. We live for ourselves. We say, actually, I'm going to, for all intents and purposes, it's all about me and God is second or just I don't think about God at all. And God says... That's what sin is. That's what sin is, and we're all sinners. You see, God says you can tell you're a sinner when you, whenever you fail to love God with all your heart and whenever you fail to love other people, all people. And, and this sin problem keeps showing itself all the time. So if I said to you, and I used this a couple of weeks ago if I, when I was here, that if I, if I said, oh, I can't smell anything, I can't taste anything, I've got a sore throat... I've got a headache, I'm achy. You don't say, oh, you've got a, you know, you've got a headache. You know, you say, hang on, there's symptoms. There's symptoms of COVID. The real problem you've got is COVID, 
not the symptoms, they're just indications that this other thing exists. And the same is with sin. If you, right? Sins are symptoms. So if you've seen any of these things in your life, if you've lied to people, if you've held a grudge against someone else, if you've been jealous of someone else, of other people, if you've put other people down behind their backs to make yourself look good, uh, if you've hated someone, if you've plotted revenge against someone in your heart, uh, if you've lusted after someone else in your mind, uh, if you've ignored someone, etc., 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 there's your symptoms. They're symptoms, right? And that's the, the symptoms of I haven't loved my neighbour. I, I am not loving them. If you've spotted any of those symptoms in your life, you're supposed to go, hang on a minute, they're symptoms. I've got sin. I'm a sinner. Right? And that's, that's the reality. That, face up to reality. That's, that's what We're riddled with sin. Sin is all through us. And that's just looking at the love other people, love, love all people as much as you love yourself. We haven't thought about loving God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. According to God's standard of good, not what we think, God's standard, we are, by comparison, bad. We're bad to the bone. We've got a problem. And we are like the Pharisees. Look at verse 11 tragically chooses to ignore the symptoms in his life. He's not thinking about God. He's only thinking about himself. He doesn't need God. He is self-righteous. He compares himself to other people. He shines out. He's proud. He's boastful. He doesn't think about what God might have to say about his life. He says, my self-diagnosis, my self-assessment is I'm good. In verse 14, look at, look at the last couple of lines, he exalts himself. He exalts himself. And Jesus says very clearly that he is not justified. He is not right with God. And so the good guy in this story, the guy wearing the white hat, does not go to heaven. But the, in verse 14, the bad guy, you know, wearing the black hat as it were, the tax collector does go home right with God. And the clue is in verse 13. Look at, look at verse 13. Right? He's so humbled before God that he wouldn't even look up to heaven. He's t- so totally aware of the sin in his life. He beats his chest in sorrow and shame and repentance and simply says, God, have mercy on me. Mercy. I deserve judgment, but I'm going to plead for mercy. I'm a sinner. It's a completely different attitude to the Pharisee. You see, he humbles himself. He looks to God. He knows God's standard, not his own. He admits that he has not loved God, that he has not loved people. And he knows that when he stands before God, he is guilty. He faces up to the fact that he is unrighteous before God. Maybe not before other people, but before God. And so he takes the only option. He puts up the white flag and surrenders and just admits and knows that he's got no other option than to throw himself before God and ask God to show mercy to him. And according to verse 14, look at it there, he humbles himself. He says, please have mercy on me, even though I'm a sinner. He simply cries out to God in in helplessness. And in verse 14, Jesus says, this is man, this man here. He is going home right with God. Incredible. Now, we need to be clear that it's good to try and be good, right? So the Bible doesn't just say, you know, the opposite. 
right? It's good, but I hope you can see that by God's standard, no one is good enough to get to heaven by themselves. Uh, All of us fall short. There's a verse in the Bible that says, no one is good, not even one. We're all sinful. But how can God get away with letting obviously sinful people into heaven to be with him? How can God allow bad people like me, like, like us, into heaven? Well, if you keep reading Luke's biography, Luke's gospel, it goes on, and at the end, Jesus dies on a cross. You know this. That's what Easter's all about. The, on the cross, the good guy, the only guy that's ever been good, that's always loved God, always loved people, he dies. He dies there. And he dies the death. He's treated like he's a bad person. And the Bible says the righteous one dies for the unrighteous ones, us, to bring us back to God. Jesus came into the world as our saviour, our rescuer, to save us, to save sinners, to save me, to save you. And Christianity is is all about Jesus dying for us on the cross, in our place instead of us. Jesus died on a cross because of you and me, because you and I are not good. And Jesus died to take the punishment that you and I deserve for our sin. Now, uh, I've got a... It's a magnifying glass. This here, it comes from a kit we bought. Well, I got it as a kid, and I've kept it. And uh, our boys, I've got four sons. And when they were little, you know... Now, our younger son, I remember showing him uh, that if you got this magnifying glass and got the sun, uh, it burnt leaves, you know, in paper, you know... You focus the, you know, the rays of the sun just intensely down to one point, catches fire. And I even showed him that it would, you can set wood on fire. It's only afterwards I realised that, uh, you know, there's a danger here. He might burn down the back fence, but he didn't, right? But that's, right, that's, that's what magnifying glasses do. Now, I want to use this as an illustration that imagine all of the sin for all time, for all people. And the judgment of that sin is concentrated down to one moment in history, upon the Lord Jesus, upon the cross. And as it were, God's judgment is intensely magnified onto that one person. For us, for you, for me, for all people that trust him. That's why Jesus died on the cross, to take the judgment we deserve for our treatment of God. And Jesus did that so that you could, and I could be forgiven. And God says that because of what Jesus has done, I can treat you as though you'd never sinned, as though you were justified before me. That is wonderful. Jesus did that because he loves you and loves me so much that he didn't deserve that, but he did it for us. The cross says there's no one in this room that is bad enough, that has done so many bad things, that Jesus cannot save you and forgive you and restore you back to God. Right? There's no one bad enough. That was good news for me. And maybe it's good news for some of you here. But for the rest of us, the danger isn't, oh, I need saving, is I don't need saving. And the cross says there's no one in this room that's good enough, according to God's standard, that you can get to heaven without Jesus. Jesus died 
for you. Jesus' death on the cross is proof that getting to be, to go to heaven as it were, to be right with God is all about being good. If it was about, if going to heaven was about being good, Jesus would have talked about being good. Okay, be good everyone, you know, be good, just try harder. No, he didn't say that. He died on a cross. Think about that. Verse 14 says that all of us must humble ourselves, call out to God for mercy. And so if you're not a Christian, you need to personally, you know, come clean before God, personally, humble yourself, admit your sinfulness, cry out for mercy like the tax collector and ask Jesus to forgive, to forgive you and make a commitment, a commitment to live for Jesus, put him back as the centre of your life. That's what every Christian in this room has done at some point. We've all had to face our sin, confess, admit it to God and live, you know, repent as it were, change our mind, change our lives, put God back at the centre. And when, you, when we've done that, like those of us that have done that, if you do that today, then God promises to forgive you, to wipe away your sin, to give you a fresh start, and you have his word that you'll be justified. You'll be declared not guilty before God. You'll be right with God. There are only two attitudes, two outcomes, two ways to live. End of verse 14, look at it there. Everyone who exalts themselves now, I'm okay, I'm righteous, I don't need God, I'm okay. Everyone who exalts themselves now will be humbled on the last day. When you stand before God, you'll be humbled because you'll be exposed. But whoever humbles themselves now, admits their sin, will be exalted then. That is, that is the great message of Christianity. That is the good news. I trust that you've understood that. That's, what, that's the heart of the Christian message. Good people don't go to heaven because there aren't any. Right? Good people don't go to heaven because there aren't any. Only bad people go to heaven, like us, because of God's mercy to us in Jesus. This is the good news. The good news. Two people that day went to pray, but only one went home right with God. The other was confident of their own righteousness. Some of you walked in today not right with God. The question is, how are you going to walk home today? If you want to know for certain that you will leave here forgiven forever, justified in the right with God forever, then I invite you to pray. That's how, that's how we talk to God. You know, we just, from our heart, we don't even speak out loud. We just talk to God. And I, I'm going to pray a prayer modelled on the tax collector's prayer. I'm just going to say, sorry, thank you, and please. Sorry for sin. Thank you for Jesus. And ask God to please help us live his way from now on. So just echo this in your heart. This isn't meant for you to regurgitate, you know. This is between you and God. Uh, I'll pray. Uh, you echo this in your, in your own heart. Let's all just bow our heads now. Uh, Lord God, Heavenly Father, we come before you and I just want to say I'm sorry for ignoring you, for living independently of you. I'm sorry for comparing myself to other people. Uh, looking down on them, I'm sorry for not loving you, for not loving other people the way we should. I'm sorry I'm a sinner. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that through his death and resurrection I can be forgiven. Thank you that this is your mercy to me. Thank you for your forgiveness. And please, Lord, please help me from this day on to put you first in my life from now on.
Help me to live your way. Please change me to grow in loving you and loving others more and more as I grow in that relationship. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.